believe in its existence, right? But not that any individual will ever know it. Yeah, I know that we've talked about this, which is a this is sort of a wild idea. This is out there. This mm -hmm. is out there. We'll never reach it. We'll never fully understand it. Mm -hmm. Definitely there. Won't reach it. Definitely there. Not gonna get there. Hello everybody, welcome into the Zal, that homey place where you technically have eight cousins ranging from first to fourth, but for some reason you still only want to hang out with the guy with the George Foreman. My name is David Grossbaum, joining me as always is my dear friend Adam Vallon Levinson. Adam and I were lucky enough to record this episode with the Jewish Learning Institute in New York City, and it was the first time Adam and I have seen each other in about three years, so that was special as well. Um, David, I just wanted to check. You meant first to fourth uh, cousins, right? Um, I forgot we're recording this separately. Um, the JLI is going to be releasing a video of this recording, so that should be fun. Uh, we'll let you know as soon as that's available. If you're still really curious about more stuff about uh, Dazal's backstory, um, just uh, Google Dazal and Yahoo.com or IndieStar, and you'll find a cool article that has uh, great pictures of David. Uh, so uh, let's just jump right in. He's a Jewish nomad. He's on his way to Morocco in just a few minutes. To add to the number of Jews. Today we will be discussing the... Uh, common problem, I would say, of religious people and maybe specifically Jewish people, as they increase in their religiosity and as they increase in their spirituality, people tend to negate or forsake their own language and their own character and their own style, thinking that in order to strive toward the more sublime, leaving oneself behind is necessary. And we just wanted to bang at that idea from different angles. Use that for yourself. So keeping your own language, keeping your own vernacular, your own terminology, even while you strive for something higher religiously, um, is important for many reasons. Um, we'll start with the more obvious ones and then we'll try to go toward the more uh, complex or deep ones. Um, the most obvious, I would say, was paraphrased by uh, Rabbi Chaim Brisker, who was a great Lithuanian rabbi uh, living over 100 years ago. Um, he said in Yiddish, Asifelt in Havana, Asifelt in Hasbara, excuse me, Asifelt in Havana, which means if you don't have the ability to articulate the idea, whatever the idea is, and this is true in religion, and I'm sure you can batch the same thing more in the academy, if you don't have the ability to articulate an idea in your own words, this is evidence that you haven't thoroughly understood the idea in the first place. Totally. So if you're basically relying completely on parroting the uh, established nomenclature or the one-liners that's just in the industry, um, whichever field of the academy you're in, uh, clearly or perhaps you haven't thoroughly understood it in your, for yourself, and therefore you're unable to, to, to find your own words for it. Mm -hmm. I think you don't understand it, but also sometimes you don't believe it. You hear something and you, and you say, well, I've heard, uh, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. 
And you don't even... Right. And then something bad happens to you and you go, well, why did this happen? So it becomes a mantra. It becomes a mantra that you don't... That doesn't even serve its own purpose. Mm. Yeah. Because mm, you haven't critically thought about it. Not at all. It's it. a thing that makes you comforted at a moment, but it's not a belief. And definitely, yeah, you might not understand it either. Do you find this at all in the in at Yale, or when that happens to be where you're at? But generally speaking, on whichever field, you, you you'll hear someone like going on and on on a specific topic, and they clearly are just relying on foundations that weren't built by them. Absolutely, and this is charged. But I was having this conversation the other day. Somebody giving a presentation, and it wasn't about race, but this was like a main part of what mm -hmm. they were talking about. And we would get into these arguments. Not really an argument, but they knew it too. What do you mean by that? And this, this could be a term that's charged in any kind of way, but you go, what's the actual concept that we're talking about? And you go, well, you know, if you say one thing, or if you don't use this, some people get mad if you don't use the term. Some people, everybody will get sort of, you know, up in arms no matter how you use it. So the best way is just to be kind of, you know, floofy to use the proper academic term. <laughs> but to submit, you're saying people get not only do they rely on the terminology themselves? They, they'll get nervous yeah. if you're not using them because they feel like their communication is hindered. It's like your whole identity in some ways, your way of understanding the world now comes down to the fact that there's some foundational part that you don't understand. And somebody comes in and says, what do you mean? And you go, uh, don't ask me about that one because my whole house is... Mm -hmm. And that apparently was a problem, I'm assuming for all of human history, but wherever Rabbi Chaim Brisker was living, he must have seen you know, lots of his students not really questioning deep enough so they could build a foundation of their own. Yeah, it's a Tower of, Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel issue. You know? If we actually knew, then we'd be okay. But, you know. <laughs> and then just one step higher, I would say, the Rebbe would always quote on this topic the uh, Shallah, who was a great Kabbalist living maybe 400, 500 years ago, who quoted a, a verse, and the verse was Zeg Keli Van Veu, Elikei which he would um, analyze mystically and say that if your religion, he was obviously talking to his Jewish followers, his students, he said, if your religiosity, if your religion is strictly because it's your father's religion, Eloke Avi, my father's God, then Varamamenu, then your religion is exalted, yeah. almost in a bad way. Like it's yeah. just too distant from your experience. Mm -hmm. However, if it's Zekeli, if it's my God, in other words, I've, yes, I received this teaching from my parents or from my teachers from the previous generations, however it came, but I made it mine, then Vanvehu, which he kind of split up the word to mean Vani Vehu, which means then God and I are together. So he exalted often is used as a way of describing something in a good way, but he was uh, in a way using it for its uh, flaw and saying it's too distant. If your religion is just that of your father's, it, rem it remains distant from your reality. Whereas if it is yours, if it's my God, then you and God are much closer. Mm -hmm. that's, that seems totally, that's one of the great things about Judaism. You got to chew, you know, you got to chew up the, the idea. Right. You know, we're not penguins where they chew it up and they just give it to their kid and they, they're ready. Penguins are oh. ready. You know? I didn't know that, but I'm totally stealing that metaphor. Oh, and from like the birds, they chew, up, they chew up the food and they just put it in their baby's mouth. And the baby's like, cool, I'm good. But then when they grow up, they have to chew. But the humans are the self-chewers. 
Well, yeah, when you grow up, a baby can just take a baby can just take the food. That's why like Gerber's is, you know, it's applesauce or whatever, you know? Pre-chewed. It's pre-chewed. Pre-chewed later, gotta chew. I, this is probably why a guy, there was a guy in a, a bar last night, was in a bar last night, and this guy literally was asking me, he was, he was saying, this is basically apropos of nothing. And he goes, how do I convert to Judaism? <laughs> Did he know about the podcast? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But he knew, you know, this is, you know, he's... Okay. He'd been, you know, he'd been, uh, there's a bit of vodka involved. But he was okay. saying, you know, here are these other sides. He's going, my, my parents are half Muslim, half Christian. Yeah, but I love this idea of, of like a living, of a, like a really living religion. And that's, you know, without that, and this is true in academic circles as well, which when you don't have it, it's terrible. It's terrible when people have used these concepts from 100 years ago and either they say, I, I don't like the way that sounds, it's too old. Or they, uh, you know, or they're just, they skip to the, or they use that the same way that it would have been used 100 years ago. And neither of those are true. Mm -hmm. Neither of those are true. As always, the Zal is brought to you by the Dill Farmers Association of America. Remember to put dill in everything. It's just that simple. The DFAA says, remember the old country or piss on your ancestors' graves. It's up to you. Um, one more point on, or I guess, one, one of the more external or exoteric arguments for finding your own words in, in your spiritual pursuits is the importance of individuality. Yeah. Um, it, it, in Pirkei Avot, which you once studied together back on the Upper West Side. You make it sound like I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> chapter and verse, chapter and verse, give it to me. Uh, there was chapter three and verse two. <laughs> Um, it says, Chaviv Adam that humanity is precious in the fact that they were created in God's image. And the commentary is explained there that just as God can't be defined by any textbook in advance, so to each human in a, in a certain way isn't the same as any other. So therefore, because God created us in this unique way, if you're relying too much on that which was handed to you, you're, you're obviously going to lose your own flair, your own style, your own individuality, which is essential. Yeah, and that comes, and that comes back to the part about being able to explain it yourself. Mm -hmm. and there's so much of that. Ah, my dad always used to say this. You know, what, what, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. He had the saying. What was this saying? So explain it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so explain it. Uh, right. You know, it's carved into a chair in our attic or whatever. You know? <laughs> now for the, um, I'd say, more... Uh, deep, maybe, of Hasidic mysticism or esoteric arguments for this. Um, we believe, as Jews, that God put us on this world to perfect it. Um, and then Hasidic mysticism and philosophy comes along, and what are we perfecting? We're perfecting the world specifically, the lower realms, if I, would to, if I were to use the exact terminology. Um, that means that despite the inclination of people to say, hey, I'm going to find spirituality in usually spiritual places. Um, despite that, mm -hmm. the purpose of, in, uh, of a human in the Jewish people's belief is that you're going to find spirituality in physical places, in the places not in the synagogue per only per se, but also where you work your nine to five or also where some 
some non-Jew is grilling you about how to convert to Judaism. You're going to find a meaningful conversation, a spiritual conversation there as well. And what happens often when you haven't figured out how to articulate your spirituality and your religion and your Judaism in your own words, what often happens is that those realms remain fragmented. That because the words, when you're studying them from the source, are so spiritually charged, mm -hmm. they, in modern cadence, don't lend themselves. They no longer could be found in the 9 to 5. This is just a Hebrew term that I'm maybe li literally translating. What, 9 to 5 is a right. Hebrew term? No, no, no. That whichever <laughs> spiritual idea I'm thinking of is a Hebrew, originally a Hebrew term. And even if I translate it in the literal sense, even if it's in English, it's still maybe too distant. So it's very hard for that to seep into that nine to five or for your, you know, beer after work. But if you've managed to make it one with you, if it's truly one with you, mm -hmm. then it goes with you at wherever you are. So in the nine to five and at the and at the bar after work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like this power of analogizing, you know, of seeing it's just like what you're saying. But right. if you can make the metaphor of one thing to the next, oh, this is like that. You find patterns. And then you find patterns. And this is, you know, I feel like I've said this on our podcast, and it, it does not, it sounds very pretentious, but it's like a, something from Aristotle that I remember. And if I, if I could do this without quoting him, I would. But right. he said the greatest thing by far is to be this master of metaphor, to recognize the similar and dissimilars and the dissimilar and similars. Mm. That's the best if you can do that. And if you can do that in these different scenarios, just like you're saying, like, that's awesome. If it's, you know, if it's a helpful thing, if it's right, like if, it's it, if the metaphor works. Well, right, exactly. It's not like, you know, the nine to five and you're like, I figured out the metaphor of, mm -hmm. of, of lunch, you know, of like having a break. To bring out this point across uh, Hasidus, across Hasidic mysticism, you'll find Rebbe's, the previous Rebbe, and then later our Rebbe, the most recent Chabad Rebbe, give metaphors for this concept. And implicit in their metaphors are the risks that one carries when making something their own. You know, and it's not the risks aren't there to say, don't do this. It's not total red tape. But it's just saying, beware, yeah. while engaging in this practice, mm -hmm. that you, you're staying focused and are using your own terminology for its advantages and refraining from its disadvantages. Right. right. So the two metaphors are, and this one's from the previous Chabad Rebbe, uh, is the first one is um, a son, the, the prince, king's son, deathly ill, and they're bringing him to all the best physicians. And... The physicians don't know what to do. Finally, one expert physician comes from a distant land, and he says, the only hope for this prince is for you to take the crown jewel on the king's crown, grind it up into a fine powder, and put that in liquid and, and, and serve that to the, to the prince. Now, obviously, the king loving his, his son would do that because it's required so the son can live. But that's not an easy ask for the king. So in the metaphor, if we were going to continue the metaphor further, obviously, 
the king wouldn't be grinding up more than what's needed for the medication of, of his son. And the analog to this analogy, as according to the previous Rebbe, was that when you're making something your own, when you're modernizing an ancient idea, when you're materializing a spiritual idea, it's needed because it's the only way to save the prince. In this case, the prince is the self or your friends or your, your so acquaintances. So what's, what's the jewel? The jewel is the, are these spiritual concepts which have been so pristine, pristinely kept mm -hmm. for millennia. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you're about to grind that up. You gotta grind it up. Just so it could be internalized. Right. You know, because we need that internalization, like we said before, but it's rough. So, so use that tool, but don't stray too far into making it your own. Or maybe, and I don't think the previous chapter said this, or maybe you wanna maintain the purity, or at least the idea of the purity yeah. in, the, in the slogan even if it's your own. Because if it's completely your own, and it was the way you were before you even heard of the idea, then you're back to square one and you've lost the thread completely. Right. So, so that's the one metaphor. And then the, the Rebbe gave another metaphor in a talk much later, where he said, he went to the biblical story of, of Jacob and his brother Esau. And some of you may know, but to get the blessings from his father Yitzchak, Jacob was required or, or did don his brother's clothing which were very furry and at the time Yitzhak was blind um, so he didn't he only heard the voices and he didn't know which son it was he wanted to give his blessing to to Esau here Yaakov wants a blessing Jacob wants the blessing so he, he said my, if my dad's blind I'm gonna fool him I'm gonna put on these furry hunter clothing so when he feels me he'll know he'll think that I'm, I'm my brother and it's a long talk, and the Rebbe brings out a lot of details in the story. But in the lesson, the Rebbe says sometimes a Jew or an individual, to get a point across to affect society effectively, you need to put on, quote, Asav's garment, the garment of the hunter, the, the less refined version of yourself in order to convey the message. And this is a similar concept. Maybe it's more in the realm of teaching to others, less teaching yourself, but it's the same idea. Yeah. It's the requirement to dumb it down, make sure. it more approachable, yeah. make it more conversational. Um, but you run the risk. You run the risk of embracing Asaph's persona to the full extent, sure. and then now you're lost. Can't take the coat off. What does his brother think? I have two questions. What does his brother think? Oh, he was not happy. I think yeah, he I'm... was chasing him down for murder, yeah. Right, yeah, that's this kind of idea of like, don't, yeah, don't do that, because this needs to be this more complicated thing. Mm -hmm. I've always thought of that as like Trojan horsing an idea. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you sneak in, people go, okay. Like entertainment, like getting something really right. deep. Or, or comedy. Yeah, or, or comedy. Or comedy, for sure. You're like, let's engage with this topic. People are like, I'll let this in. I would never talk about it. Exactly. You know, something this dark. Whatever. And then it gets in, you're like, oh, no. Or maybe not, oh, no. But now I'm having these thoughts. About New thoughts that I didn't have before. I would never would have. I and I wouldn't have been even prepared to discuss. I wouldn't have been prepared, but I got, you know, I got we got inside, you know, inside a horse. That's a perfect metaphor, exactly. Our horse is furry. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty <laughs> similar, you know? Yeah, so that's it. So okay. as per custom with the Zal podcast, we have a pretty beautiful and vivid idea, the requirement to translate uh, a, an idea to yourself, mm -hmm. to the self. But gray, the introduction of grayness saying, 
Don't go too far in this department. Make sure you're staying true to the idea itself and haven't completely lost it in your attempt of translation. Don't get lost in translation, I guess. Right, but true to thing that you also like aren't completely sure about. You're still in certain cases, if you're still yeah. trying to figure out, yeah. Yes. So somebody sent in a question. They said this concept of um, taking your distant idea and making it close to you is a theoretical concept. And if there's any examples that we can give for that in our own lives or for other people's lives. And I know with me, um, doing this podcast in the first place was just an exercise in that. Because when you're in yeshiva, when you're within those walls and you're basically surrounding yourself strictly with people that think 99% of the time like you, you fall into the traps of sure. getting the one-liners and just sticking to them, parroting them off. And uh, you don't question enough to get the ideas fully internalized. Um, the, cl the classic story, the classic joke going around the yeshivas was that there was once a discussion in a, in a yeshiva about Ratzoy Veshuv, which is a very distant and complex uh, Hasidic mystical concept, not for today's podcast, but it means how spiritual energies are going back and forth. Think of it like spiritual quantum physics or something. Great. Um, very, very deep and very complex. But in the literal sense of the word, it means running and coming back. That's what it means in the literal sense. Obviously, there's so much more depth than that. Okay. And the joke goes that, I don't know if this even happened, but it's too good of a story not to repeat, where the yeshiva boy, the next day, he goes to the bus station in Jerusalem and asks for a ticket, Ratzoy Veshuv, to Tel Aviv, thinking that it just means I, I want a two-way trip, Ratzoy Veshuv, you know? <laughs> Meanwhile, these are the deepest level of quantum physics, which would be a case where he... He knew the expression in yeshiva, Ratzay Vashov, and we just keep on repeating and it gets beat into your head a thousand times. And you lose the whole idea of like, no, 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 this is actually an extremely deep concept. It doesn't just mean you want a two-way ticket. But we're talking about metaphors. Like, is it that different? <laughs> like, is it that different? You know, you go to Tel Aviv, very different than Jerusalem. <laughs> right. You know, you could bring a lot back. Maybe he was a deeper individual than I'm, than I'm giving him credit for. Or you at least have to be open to it. You know, that's all. I think sometimes like, you get into this place where you're looking for too much, maybe out of, going the other way. Mm -hmm. You're looking for too much. I remember the first time I went to 770, and I was brought in by somebody that I'd met in Abu Dhabi. And he goes, ah, you got to come in. And he goes, we do the thing. I'm sure you're, you're familiar where you, you open a book, you put a page in the book. You put a page in a book, and then right. you open the book, and whatever right. that page is, is kind of like a lesson or something. And you pick one, and you open it up. And everybody has a different style about right. it. No, no. But then you read this. You know, you read something, and you project whatever kind of meaning you want onto this thing. Mm -hmm. You're told this is supposed to be meaningful, and then you find implant. It. Yeah, then you find it. Right. And there's something that's also great about that, which is like you can do that with anything. If you go out with like that, those kind of lenses, I you agree. can go in and say. Ah, you know, like, well, what's this cup of water supposed to mean? Well, mm -hmm. it's oh, half full, half empty. Like, right. If you, like, if you yeah. believe in a certain degree of godly serendipity that God arranges things and mm -hmm. you, you're hyper-focused, it's not crazy to think, let me take this letter of the Rebbe that I came across seriously sure. or let me take this freaking losing a, a subway stop mm -hmm. extra seriously. Let me meditate on that. And you derive a lesson, you know, right. whatever it is. Right. Yeah, my subway stops is when you fall asleep, you end up in the Bronx and you go, this is a lesson <laughs> about... Not sleeping. Yeah, yourself. don't, don't, be, you know, maybe a little less on the, for bringing it. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but back to that original point I was making. Yeah. When we started this podcast, you forced me to say, hey, 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 
you're not inside the yeshiva anymore. You know, mm-hmm. those one-liners that work in every conversation that you've had until now, mm-hmm. they're not going to fly with me. Right. In a good way. Right. You know, and you forced me, you challenged me to, uh, to perfect, define the ideas in a real way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's the hard, I think that's maybe like the hardest thing to do for anyone ever. I mean, really, it's like, there are levels of expression and one of them is the level of just you know the universe works in mysterious ways you're talking about quantum physics and the other you know quantum physics the other way is well uh, you know we have uh, planks that turn into uh, you know quarks that turn into electrons you know and you get it at that level they're not that different but like to be able to if you could explain one in terms of the other all the way to the top mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Then it works. You know, Stephen Hawking territory or, or Rebbe territory. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's... You yeah. can't get better than that. You know what I think is really important when you're actually internalizing those things specifically, especially mm-hmm. if it's like a, a mantra, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. I remember I was growing up and, you know, my parents would say, well, you can do anything. That was our generation. You can do anything. Which is really funny because it changes every generation. Their parents were like, you can be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that, you know? And before that, it was like, you didn't even think about it. Right. You went off to war. You come Is there a future for us? Is there a future? Right. I don't know. You know? And it, it makes me think that like, one of the most important things towards understanding is context also. And you can't live in this vacuum where you just go, well, nothing matters. Let me live in this. Right. Not to say the yeshiva life isn't great. Oh, know? yeah. But you have to look outside. You know, you're not looking outside, you know, you're not looking around, you're not understanding your place in like physical space, in time, then how are you supposed to know? And I, you know, in applying this idea of like, you can do anything now, and I think for like a lot of people my age, we're kind of brought up in the 90s, and it's like, it's, it's too vague for starters. And it also like, isn't true in the same way, like what that means changes, Mm -hmm. you know? Do anything you want. Well, now there's TikTok. I don't know. Do anything. I, I don't know what that means. You know. Mm-hmm. The, the Rebbe would always say. The Rebbe would always say that when you're going into that realm of the pristine, mm-hmm. you always need to keep an eye on the outside world and just st- okay. continuously vet yourself if you're figuring out how to translate this for the outside world when you're there. Okay. When you're well, there. I thought you were going to say something about like, well, the Rebbe used to say this about TikTok. <laughs> no, no. Wow, you know. <laughs> Lots of foresight. Yeah. Did he have any startups? <laughs> this all is brought to you by Gavalt, a brand new therapy app for users to complain about the most minute details of their lives. Using text and audio messages with absolutely no length limit, Gavalt uses AI technology to respond to the most trivial gripes imaginable. Responses include and are entirely limited to, oi, new? And yes, I heard that also happened to Mrs. Goldstein. Did that thing at the end of your shoelace come off? Try Gavalt. Does it feel a little chilly in this restaurant? Try Gavalt. Can you not find a pen to take down that number? Download Gavalt today. Gavalt is not suitable for substantive problems or any kind of concern that could affect basically anyone in any way. No, it's, t- it's tough, man. And I think, you know, there's something that I want to work on also. Like when I wrote a book that was about the Middle East, mm-hmm. And the whole point was sort of to, to internalize these ideas about really people being people. It's very like, again, like kind of soft, 
a hallmarky kind of idea. Mm-hmm. But then to put it in a language where it both became more serious and also more digestible. And that's really hard. You're going in these kind of different directions mm-hmm. at the same time. I say really hard, but it's also because you know, I'm not you know, smart enough. <laughs> you're not good at it. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not good enough at it. You know, whenever you're not good enough at something, you go, it's well, really it's hard. so hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, of course. Yeah, nobody can do it, you know. And, and, and then at the end, you end up with something that just takes the form of a story. Also longer, I think that's a part of it, is, you know, translating an idea doesn't necessarily mean, like we try to do where you say Yiddish word and we try and explain it in four words mm-hmm. and give a definition. Sometimes I think, like, translation means changing the, the whole form in terms of length, you know, you have a phrase, well, write right. a book, what's the, what's the right. book level understanding? Is the word interpolate, is that the word? Interpolate? <sighs> Pause now. <laughs> and then Google it. Uh, it doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah you, you, don't have to, <laughs> you fill into the blanks all the parts of the translation didn't, didn't reach. I, it, but the form, the form thing is so huge. Did you have a method? Because that, in your experience writing that book basically is the question at hand. It's saying, hey, I have these really broad ideas which I know to be truths in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to convey them in the most translatable way. Yeah. Right, get this in a digestible story that's yeah. interesting, that's captivating, um, but still true to the ideas. Mm-hmm. As you were writing that, you know, you know, obviously you're going to be humble and say you weren't successful at it, but but as you were writing it, you were trying to be. Did you have a method? Because it, you, whatever your methodology, that'd be relevant to this question. Yeah, I think the idea was if you're going to talk about life and try and make some kind of broad statement. My idea was just, well, give a slice of life, a relatively thick one, you know, over the course of a year or something like that. But it really is just telling life and then hoping that people say, well, okay, now I've experienced it. You give people the experience and you let them hopefully come away from it with some of the ideas that you did or their own ideas, whatever that's going to be, which is another thing about like chewing up, chewing up food for somebody. You don't know what it's going to taste like to them. This is gross. Now this is getting gross. <laughs> but you know, you give some, you really digest something. Yeah, you don't yeah. necessarily know what it's going to be, but you at least want it to seem like you've done your best job. And now people are going to interpret for for themselves, which is sort of the point, right? Is this what you're saying? Where you broadened a certain piece of your life, and you said, "I'm just going to deliver a truth," yeah, and hoping that I'm conveying somehow with a truth, yeah, in it the truth. So a big question for this topic was the order, mm. the order of, of, th- of steps. Yeah. You know, there's so much translation happening, there's so much pursuit of truth happening, and then there's the application. Yeah. Uh, maybe three steps. Yeah. And which comes first, and which one's emphasized. Yeah. And obviously, in, in certain contexts in life, you're seeking a specific truth, a specific answer. So that probably needs to be the first step in the raw material. Yeah. But then, you know, probably most of your time after that truth is discovered, once that truth is discovered, is, is the translation and application. I think it completely depends. Or it doesn't depend at all, but it's like a cycle that feeds off itself. You know, maybe you have a general idea. Like I know when I moved to the Middle East after college, moved to Abu Dhabi and I was traveling around. Mm-hmm. The idea was very vague. It was just like I think I want to know things. Like curiosity. I think yeah. curiosity is this huge thing. And also, like, you wouldn't even want to translate anything if you didn't right. have curiosity. Right. Why would you care? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not curious to translate mm-hmm. what my 
forefathers gave me. I don't have that. Right. And then that idea turns into a kind of living, at least like as long as there's some kind of experience. I want to. I'm curious about having experience. And then that comes back and sort of reformulates what the thought was. And you keep going in circles. Oh, mm-hmm. now I have like a little more, a little clearer thought. Now I'll kind of find more information that goes into that. Your curiosity started general. Really general. And then certain things piqued your curiosity. Yeah, and then it becomes more focused and then it probably comes back out when you get... Mm-hmm. For me, for me, mm-hmm. I think I'm kind of more of a generalist. At some point it becomes too specific. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is too vague of a... No, I actually, you know I, mean? I think that's, that's right. I mean, mm-hmm. not that I have any particular Hasidic source for it, but it, it basically depends. If you're seeking a general curiosity, then you kind of let the truth come to you and you'll, you'll apply it, choose it as it comes. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain cases that you need a particular truth. And in a way, the translation comes first in a way mm-hmm. because you need to translate not the idea, you need to translate your need. Yeah. And then open yourself up to a true idea beyond the you. But yeah. first, you need to translate your need. You need to see what you want. Yeah, yeah. And I think also in almost all cases to recognize that the thing that you find is not going to be something that you force on other people. That's, mm-hmm. that's an issue mm-hmm. that we have. You go, ah, oh, I did all this work. I did so much work. Mm-hmm. I did this. I took the idea. I went somewhere. I found stuff out. You know, And here it is. I got it. You know, I discovered the... Yeah the diamond that I gave to the king, you know, here it is. It's not that clear. Nothing is, that's why that's like a, mm-hmm. no, a yeah. parable. You don't end up with like a clear diamond you can grind up. You end up with something that feels true to you that you can deliver as true as you can. If, if you're writing, if you're filming, whatever, you know, a lot of times people will film something and then there's something happening over there and you go, don't shoot that. Don't shoot that, but here's this. Right. Well, if you're writing and you try and you really right, try and right. give as honest of the things that helped you find out what you found out, and then you give to people. You just hope. You hope. You either hope or you say, honestly, it's good enough. It's good enough. Mm. Take whatever you want. Mm. And if it's so different than what I want, leave it. Leave it. Or, and then I think this is like the really Jewish part, come talk to me about it. And then let's have yeah. a discussion. Because that's cool. I, w- I just wanted to have a discussion. This is true with my, with my book. I just wanted to have a conversation after here, mm-hmm. here was the thing that I did. Come right. tell me why I'm wrong or right. stupid or right. whatever. You had a different experience or kind of overlapping or similar. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the best place you get to. Yeah, that's, a, that's another good point on this topic, that the truths experienced will be, will be experienced differently based yeah. on whichever lenses you're wearing. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's the famous line of Shivim Panim La Torah, which is quoted all the time, 70 faces to the Torah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there's you know there's utmost truths, but then in application, in translation, stylistically, mm-hmm. it's gonna come out different. Yeah, and just to turn this into a Islamic podcast, you know, <laughs> the ninety nine names for God, you know, that's it. And then it, this is a this is a thing. You have ninety nine names, and then you have one blank for the hundredth that you don't know. You're talking to me knows. like the comparative religion, the extent of comparative religion studies in yeshiva is being hustled on the subway by missionaries. So <laughs> I've <laughs> got very nice. little to add no, on that but it's topic. The same, but it's the same idea yeah. of here are 99 ways of kind of, here are 99 adjectives mm-hmm. that could all be used, used in, 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 uh, in combination, but they're all ways of seeing that are very different. Right. The idea of seeing powerful and compassionate next to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, these are both being applied to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Are they different? Well, mm-hmm. no, they can't be because they're they're, they're being applied same to the same thing. Same thing in Judaism, thing. yeah. Exactly, yeah. and so that, and I, I also think that like no person can see those seventy faces at the same time. 
that's why you bring other people involved. You go, ah, you're seeing, oh, you're seeing the other side of the, like the moon, somebody that sees like a rabbit and what's the other, what's the other part? You don't have, you didn't grow up with this? Like the moon, you either see a, you either see a rabbit or a You mean or when there's like optical illusion things? Like when you look at the moon and there's or the like actual the, moon. Yeah, you look at the actual moon. <laughs> this isn't a metaphor. <laughs> okay, okay. Back to Earth, David. <laughs> Back to Earth, but also the moon. And when you're looking at the moon, you either see a, a rabbit or you see the face. You either see a man's face. You really didn't have this? Is this too... Uh, is this like We're pretty um, moon-based religion, I would say, but no, I didn't catch this. This is wild. I wonder if this is considered like... Um, uh, heretical. No, I don't. It doesn't sound like it. You're it sounds like a rabbit in the moon. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's tray for whatever. Do you eat rabbits? Not that Do I know. No, rabbits? rabbits unkosher, but still totally fine. You know, they can live their you know, rabbit lives. Okay. <laughs> no, but that's like a whole thing, and and it's very often that people go, especially as kids, they go, no way, full argument. Mm. There's no rabbit there. It's a man, or the other way around. And then sometimes you get to the point where, you, you know, the, the, somebody keeps pointing out, no, but those are the ears. Don't you see those are the ears coming out of the thing? Mm -hmm. And eventually you can sort of see both and maybe your eyes can readjust and you mm -hmm. can see which one I'm looking for this mm -hmm. and then I see this. I'm looking mm -hmm. for this and then I see this. So if I'm bringing it all home, you're describing the kosher fragmentation of truth. Okay. Where there's, we believe in an ultimate truth in some element, but as it comes closer to, in the realm of our words, translation, application, yeah. um, fragmentation will happen, there's going to be differences, and that's, that's totally fine. But doesn't that, doesn't that come along also with the idea that like, you fully can never say, I have found the absolute truth? That's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Right? You get closer and closer. Well, we and believe closer. it to be infinite. So any finite being will always be striving for it. Sure. Sure. So we believe in its existence. Right. But not that any individual will ever know it. Yeah, I know that we've talked about this, which is, a, this is sort of a wild idea. This is out there. This mm -hmm. is out there. We'll never reach it. We'll never fully understand it. Mm -hmm. Definitely there. Won't reach it. Definitely there. Not going to get there. Right. I, yeah. It's a, it's a weird combination of, of like fanatical religion on the one hand, you know, um, fundamentalism mm -hmm. with the most modern postmodernism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we're going to believe in this ultimate truth that exists and that's out there. And, it, and not just that it's out there, that we have to work our lives to strive for. Right. But there's going to be a lot of different paths along the way. Well, it's like completely absolutist and then also like very realist. Mm -hmm. I think we were talking about that in general, like the idea that, okay, you have these really broad concepts. Also, context. The yeah, context. Yeah. We're on Earth. Remember, we're on Earth. Ideas are in this abstraction that we don't, yeah. we don't, you know, we can never, you know, we, abstraction is not, is, is not really specific human understanding. We're on earth, but other things also. Even ideas, I mean, this is what you talked to me about, where you're saying, ah, you know, you believe in these ideas, which doesn't even come down to theology. If you believe in these larger ideas and that they exist, like, for example, that people should be good to one another, and mm -hmm. you're like, well, you believe that, so... Even that abstraction mm -hmm. is a form of religiosity, mm -hmm. you know? Even if you're not willing to say, oh, this is a... Right, even if you don't want to identify with all the things that come with it. Yeah, yeah. So then the question is, we live in 2022, or whatever this is, 
you have a million accounts that you could follow. Instagram, TikTok, whatever, you're getting information. We have a ton of information at our fingertips. Does that help? Mm. Right, and it could be hurtful as well. Oh, for sure. If you just assume that that's the end. I think the key is like, there's a, there's a phrase to quote uh, an old French filmmaker. What do you say is, je me force à me contredire, à mon propre goût. I force myself to contradict myself, to avoid conforming to my own taste. And it becomes very, very, very easy on social media to go, I like these things, mm. boom, conform. Echo chamber. Echo chamber in all the ways that you say what I'm, I chose. Mm -hmm. And so you have to really try and avoid, not try and avoid, but try and add these things that are totally against you into your own mm -hmm. bloodstream. I see it as even, even like more simplified. I see it as just a springboard. In other words, mm -hmm. if this one-liner that you came across on an Instagram meme right. is a truth, nice. Right. If that truth is going to kind of trigger you to think deeper, become a better person, work on yourself off of Instagram, yeah, then that's kind of the ideal. But if you're like, oh, right, share that to my story, move on, right, then then you've missed the boat. Well, that's exactly the same thing. Just share, put it out there, pass it along. It's for others. No chewing, pass right. along. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. This has been great, Adam, because I feel like I know you so well. We're recording so frequently over Zoom, yeah. but we're never in person. So no, it's a strange really, dynamic. This is really that, new. Yeah, this is, right. <laughs> is that a new technology? No, no. So um, it's fantastic doing it in person. Glad we could do it with the JLI. Yeah, amazing. And to have actually found, we found absolute truth, right? We did it. <laughs> oh, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Close the duffel bag, bring it home. You're welcome. <laughs>